What a Monday to record on. <laughs> I know. I didn't mean I didn't mean to accidentally throw in a movie again that has to do with I believe the uh, one of the newspaper clippings in the first five minutes of this is like New York City. What was it? It's a pandemic. A pan- yeah, yeah it's they're a experiencing pandemic. a pandemic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just couldn't remember the exact words. Like if it was, you know, New York City. Or epidemic, maybe. Epidemic. Yeah, it yeah. was something like it's an that. Epidemic, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> we didn't mean to, but. No, but we also didn't need, mean to throw in another movie where we have to talk about some horrible people behind the scenes. But I think that's just basically any movie. It rhymes with Barnstein. Sort of. Yeah. It rhymes with... Lines mean. Yeah. It rhymes with lines mean. Ugh. Just two idiot brothers who were not as cool or creative as they wanted to be, and so they made it everybody else's problem. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember the time we watched Mimic? You mean the 1997 American science fiction horror film directed by Guillermo del Toro? <gasps> that Guillermo del Toro? That's that's the one. Is there another one? I don't know. I don't know either. Well, yes, that one. Yes. <laughs> that's the one I mean. <laughs> exactly. So I'm Nicole. I'm Topher. And we're the Horror Babes. And yep, we're talking about Mimic today. Cha. Cha. Not to be confused with The Mimic. Which no, I didn't realize different. was a also a film, but uh, don't confuse yourselves. So we're going to be doing the normal format here. In case you don't know what that is, Topher's going to take us through who made this thing, shout out the cast and crew, and then I will take us through the plot very swiftly, and then we will go straight into a deeper analysis of the film. So without further ado, Topher, take us away. Who made this thing? Uh, Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Already, already noted that. But yeah. Um, so thank it's based you. on a short story by <laughs> Donald A. Walheim, uh, who was a big, big deal science fiction writer. So Ursula K. Le Guin, like super famous woman science fiction writer, amazing. Recently died. Okay. In the past couple of years, really sucks. She was amazing. Rest in peace. Yep. She called him the tough, reliable editor of Ace Books, um, hmm. and he was the one who published her first two novels. Hmm, very cool. Yeah. I didn't know this was based on a short story. Yeah. Full disclosure, um, I had no idea. I have read it. I don't remember when I am trying to... I, I've tried to find it again. I'm sure it's somewhere. I just haven't looked in the right places. But, I feel like it might have been a little more thrilling as a short story just because um, the idea of a species that was created in a lab is now mimicking humans and i I think reading about that would have been a little bit more scary than this movie to be honest that's fair uh we'll get into some of that too no we definitely will i just i learned to i was today years old when i learned that it was part of a short story (laughs) so i'm processing you know yeah fair enough (laughs) um but just to give you a a little more background on uh walheim Mm -hmm. uh he also he was like a major paperback distributor, right? And so like paperbacks used to have a really bad connotation to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, <laughs> so Walheim had contacted Tolkien 
as okay. in J.R.R. Yeah. To publish a, he wanted to publish Lord of the Rings as Ace Paperbacks. Okay. Ace being the company, right? Yes. And Tolkien said, quote, he would never allow his great works to appear in so degenerate a form as the paperback book. Good God. Okay. Yeah, but like when you talk about like authors who are being paid like a penny a word, right? Like old uh, speculative fiction. Yeah. Writers. So that's science fiction fantasy now, but like what we roughly call spec fiction. That's just um, a very um, dramatic and harsh sentence. Go off, Queen. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Um, so he ended up, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he did end up publishing an unauthorized version of them anyway. <laughs> like who hurt you? What paperback book hurt you? Well, again, it was just like what the art, it was not considered an art form. It was, it was for just like, it was comic books. Yeah. Yeah. No, right? I'm, I'm totally joking over oh, here. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> not always good at recognizing that. So yeah, like he, he ended up paying Tolkien for all of that, but it's just a funny story about like Tolkien being this professor of English and writing these epic fantasies and being like, I'm sorry, the fuck you want me to do? Right. It, it's a little, it's more than a little elitist, but I, it's still funny to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He wrote a bunch of his own. Uh, short stories that were all very well received mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, he's he's known as like a pretty awesome writer. He never won a Hugo, which he was kind of butthurt about, but right. But yeah, mimic the story focuses on the same. It's a, it's a very loose adaptation of that short mm-hmm. story. Um, but basically, from what I remember, so don't don't fact check me. Um, it's it's a science fiction short story based on the idea of aggressive mimicry in insects. Right. Which we can talk about later, but that's the that's the premise. And so that's where this comes in too. Right, because I mean there is that argue there is that argument about evolution and the mimicking of other of other animals. Right. In order to evolve and everything. So and I think yeah. insects that is a form of their evolution. So yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it's certain insects. Yeah, will disguise themselves in certain ways. Yeah. To to survive. It, yeah, and it's yeah. it's for it's you know quote unquote food rights right or food mm-hmm. access. Yeah. Um, that's that's essentially the the short version of it, and we can leave it at that, or we can get into it later. I don't really care which. Well, that is that is what makes uh the at least the idea and the concept pretty interesting that it's rooted right. in some sort of. It's based in some sort of fact, which is often what the great horror uh, horror films are based off of. The, the ones yeah. that really kind of deeply scare us are like things that could happen or just things that are at least based in some sort of fact. Yeah, they, they exist somewhere in the world and we sort of expound on them until they become terrifying. Yes, exactly. It's a little different than like a gothic take, right? Where it's uh, more... Uh, pushing the idea as opposed to yeah. twisting it to the left. and suspend your disbelief a little bit. For this yeah. one, it's it's a little bit like, let's just exaggerate this to the fullest extent. Yeah, which yeah. is also kind of del Toro's style. Like, he's a magical realist. For sure. In a lot of in a lot of ways. We'll talk, again, I'll go on a long thing about that later. Right. The screenplay was co-written by del Toro and Matthew Robbins. Mm-hmm. Uh, he cut his teeth on uh, THX 1138 with George Lucas. Mm-hmm. His original, he did the original story scratch for that. And that was Lucas's first film. Right. He also worked on Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm. Again, uncredited, but we know that he did now. He wrote Dragon Slayer. He wrote the screenplay for Batteries Not Included, mm-hmm. one of Brad Bird's earliest scripts in 1987. Yeah. Uh, a very fun movie. It I sounds like, like a very fun name. movie. Yeah, yeah. But I also want to watch it. It's about a feisty old New York couple. Ooh. And aliens help them against the landlords who want to evict them. So us? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> At least in a couple years. Yeah. 
Robbins would go on to work with Del Toro again in 2013. Mm-hmm. Sorry, 2015 with Crimson Peak. Okay. A, a gothic fairy tale that mm-hmm. is super cool. Cool. Uh, it stars Mira Sorvino. Yes. Academy Award winner, Mira Savino. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I should have also said Academy Award winner, Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Mira Savino plays our lead, Dr. Susan Tyler. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would know her for, as Romy from Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. She won her Oscar for Best Supporting Actress in uh, Mighty Aphrodite. Mm-hmm. She's been, in, I mean, she's been in a ton of stuff. She's been a pretty, she's had a pretty solid working career. Yeah. Um, I do always confuse her and Christina Applegate with each other because they look very—they look very similar. They have like that kind of button nose and just very blonde, wholesome wavy. blonde look. Yeah, <laughs> um, but they're both beautiful. Is the right? Is the really the thing? I'm just like I'm just like oh, beautiful blonde lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, our other lead is Jeremy Northam as Doctor Peter Mann. Mm-hmm. He's one of those guys who was really big in the '90s. Yeah, um, and he's been working consistently since, but you haven't seen a lot of him since then. Mm-hmm. Like um, his last, I think, big big film would have been Gosford Park in '01. Yeah. Um, recently, though, he has been uh, in the Tudors a few, like ten years ago, and then he was in The Crown for it looks like a season or two. Gotcha. I can't stand that fucking show. I've seen exactly one and a half episodes, and I hate it. <laughs> uh, we have Alexander Goodwin as Chewy, the neurodivergent child of. Manny, played by Giancarlo Giannini, um, hardworking Italian actor and director. Mm-hmm. Who, what did we recently just see him in? Oh, Quantum of Sol- He was in um, the Casino Royale and uh, Quantum of Solace James Bond movies. Cool. As Mathis. Mathis. The like sketchy contact. Mm-hmm. We also have Charles S. Dutton in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays the MTA cop, basically. Right. Leonard. Um, yeah, he was in Alien Three as Dylan and uh, Gothica as Doctor Douglas Doctor Douglas Gray. Also, a Time to Kill Legion. He's been in, he's been in a lot of work. Right, a lot of yeah, a lot of similar works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, th- this whole movie almost takes place at like the Delancey Street stop, which is so, which is just so yeah, funny. It ends because, on Spring like, Street, but yeah, it, yeah, it takes place mostly under Delancey. Yeah, because they have to travel through the subway system, but yeah. Um, that's that's always fun. I love seeing New York in the '90s when I had never been here yet. <laughs> right. Like I didn't live here until 2013, so or 2014. Yeah, yeah. We had Alex Coramze as Remy. That's a Mira Savina's assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you would know her obviously from this. Uh, this is one of her biggest works, and then Kindergarten Cop would be another one that a lot of people would have seen. Yeah, and I she, like her character a lot. She plays kind of like the grungy, oh, like sure. sad girl, sort yeah. of like her assistant, <laughs> and like she takes a Polaroid of herself crying, and she's like, "I want to document my sadness." And I'm like, "Damn, you were ahead of your time. We're, we're taking like crying <laughs> selfies left and right here in 2020." Uh, it was just like her version of it because we didn't have smartphones yet. Yeah. <laughs> She's odd, but I love her. Yes. Um, a very young, very sexy Josh Brolin as Josh. <laughs> I think you would have to. I think you would have to be an odd one to be the bug lady's assistant. Yeah, which means that you're also a bug lady. Yeah, but you're like the <laughs> bug lady's assistant. Yeah, right. You have to be a little strange. Um, that is funny that Josh also is, plays Josh. Yeah, I mean, this is super early on in his like break. Mm-hmm. He'd been in stuff already. Like he was. Um, He'd been in like he'd been in the Goonies, obviously. Like he's one of the leads in the, in the Goonies. Who does he play in the Goonies? Brand. 
I'm sure I would. He looks the exact same as a kid as he does now. He like he was an adult child. They don't show his <laughs> face much in this. They sort of do, no. But it's he's like a, dark. he's a support. Yeah, um, like yeah, he'd been in a bunch of stuff before this, but this was kind of like his adult break. I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I mean, obviously, if you don't know who Josh Brolin is, Thanos in the Avengers films is voiced and modeled on Josh Brolin. Yeah, that chin. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, he was also an old boy. He was in Inherent Vice, uh, Hail Caesar. He's been in a bunch of um, Cohen Cohen pictures. Mm-hmm. Love him in No Country for Old Men. He's so fun in that. Uh, one of my favorite actors, character actors, F. Murray Abraham mm-hmm. as Dr. Gates. That's uh, Mira Savino's mentor. Yeah. And Norman Reedus's debut mm-hmm. as Jeremy. Yeah. So that's it for the, the cast and all of that. Production, yeah, was from a bunch of people. Again, there's always a thousand people on these. Mm-hmm. But music from the amazing Marco Beltrami. Nice. We love him. Yeah. Such a great, great worker. The only good part of A Quiet Place. Good God, that movie sucks. <laughs> well, we've been asked to cover it so many times. I'm just like, no. No, thank you. No, I am not doing this. <laughs> I try not to be super negative so i will not choose that movie to cover yeah and everybody who i've like everything that i want to say about it has been said elsewhere agreed and if you if well if you want just a short episode on it here's all i have to say i don't give a shit about the characters and you're supposed to in that one but i don't so it's not successful the end (laughs) (laughs) i'm done i did an episode on it bye there you go thanks (laughs) cinematography from dan lawson uh, it's Danish cinematographer, but yeah, he's worked with um, he's worked with Del Toro a few times. Yeah, um, he did Shape of Water, Crimson Peak. Uh, he recently did Proud Mary. He did John Wick. Mm-hmm. He's done he's done a lot of really great work. He shot Silent Hill, which we both enjoy. Yeah, um, yeah, he's he's just done some really cool work, and he's always a very interesting cinematographer. For some reason, the Danes do cinematography really well. Mm-hmm. There's a consistent amount of like Danish cinematographers that I'm a big fan of. Yeah, production design was from Carol Spear. Uh, she fucking rules. Um, <laughs> Black Mirror. Yeah, said. she did. Yeah, yes. she did an episode of uh, Black Mirror. She did the the Archangel one. Production design for that. That's the one. It's all in. Uh, wait, no. Is Archangel the one that's all in black and white, or is that the one that was? I remember the episode. Was it? I'm pulling it up now. Archangel. Oh, it's the one with the kid with Jodie Foster. The Jodie Foster directed. Oh, that's that's a pretty good one. Yeah, I mean, cool production design, right? Yep. Um, but yeah, she mostly she's worked a lot with Cronenberg. So she did Scanners, Videodrome, uh, Dead Ringers, Existence. Uh, she also did History of Violence and Eastern Promises. Like she's super fucking cool. Um, has done just awesome, awesome production design work. Great. And we love good production design. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> she also did the remake of Carrie. Oh, um, sick. Yeah. Um, I'm going to shout out the set decoration just because it was kind of cool. Like it was super gross. It was um, definitely very gross. <laughs> and that's Eleanor Rose Galbraith and Bob Kinzinger. I mean, if you have to be down in the subway, it better fucking be gross um, in the yeah. 90s. <laughs> and, uh, and they're in the old subway, too, you know. The scent gland was pretty cool, too. Yeah. Whoever did that. That was really well done. So I'm going to imagine that that was probably done by the special effects crew for the creature yeah, design. Yeah, I would think so. Um, yeah, there's a bunch. There's a huge list of people who were on the special effects crew. Obviously, this is a effects heavy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, sci-fi and horror and monster. Absolutely. You know? yeah. um, I, I would love to shout them all out, but I really just cannot. Um, I know Guillermo del Toro also worked in another part of this, but I can't remember where. He's like, like um, we. I think I forgot to say on our 
on last week's episode mm-hmm. um, that Peter Jackson did the models for the yeah. stop motion, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really cool that like, yeah, you contribute to your film in multiple ways. Cause like uh, Del Toro started out in production design. Oh, that's, that's an interesting piece of trivia. I didn't yeah, know. He, um, I know I enjoy his movies. I just, I don't know much about him professionally yeah, other he, than what he's done. Yeah. Like, he learned that. from, he, he started off in makeup and effects, learning under Dick Smith, who, if you don't know that name, you should. He did the makeup and effects for The Exorcist. That was his... The original? T- yeah. Oh, tight. That was his teacher. Tight. Yeah. Um, like, when he was a teenager, or, like, in his early 20s. Cool. Well, you know, you know I'm all about just, like, learning, um, learning as much as you can about what you're getting into. Absolutely. So that you can be as prepared as possible. Like, did, does does a director necessarily need to know much about um, makeup and effects? Not really, except for what looks good. Um, yeah. But, but I always appreciate it when... Because it's just, it's my philosophy. I'm always like, I'm always like, if I'm going to dive into something, then I'm going to go for every aspect. Absolutely. I mean, you've seen... You know how much I've done, and I th- I've talked a lot about it a lot on this podcast. Like mm-hmm. I've done, I started off in makeup and hair. Yeah. And then I went into acting, and then I went into writing and directing. Yeah. But like I had also done costume design, and like I would hang around the costume designers and learn all about it. I can't sew for shit. Well, when it's such but a collaborative like, art, you kind of, you know. Yeah. You you. We we always can tell when we see a movie that was cohesive and yeah. everyone knew what what page they were on, and often if you can kind of work in a collaborative manner, that's what you end up producing. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it, you can't just say like, okay guys, we're gonna break up into our little groups and do do our jobs. It's like, you have to have some sort of cohesion here. Yeah, the director is not just the director of the acting. Yeah. Or you, the script. It's the, the vision. The director. Yeah, the yeah. director of the entire vision, and that includes the entire production department. So, so I, I think love, that's really cool, yeah. I love that he, he is, Obvious, if he studied under under Dick, that yeah. person, um, he obviously is pretty proficient. Then, yeah, I would say. Um, yeah, I, it's I and it, it it inspired so much of his work. Yeah, um, but yeah, we'll get into that. So yeah, the last couple things, uh, just the boring stuff to most people, but I say it because I have to say it. Uh, production was from Dimension Films. Distribution from Miramax. Ugh. Boo. <laughs> So many of my favorite movies are made some of the worst people. I know. Um, it was released in 97. Uh, it went to the Fanta Festival and then had a wide release in August of 97. The original cut was 106 minutes. There is a director's cut, which is a bit better that I saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually that's something you'll not ever hear me say, but I actually like the director's cut a lot of this movie. Nice. Um, and then uh, the budget was $30 million. Uh, Did not make that back. Made 25 and a half. Um, Close. Yeah. But no cigar. Yeah, four and a half million dollars is a a whole other film. That's an A twenty four film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so it's it's yeah, it was not it was not a huge huge success that way. But I think it really put Del Toro on the map in America. Yeah, big fan. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you want to take it away on some plot? Let's do it. So, yeah, you heard it. We are in New York City. We're in Manhattan, uh, specifically downtown. Manhattan. Manhattan. Do you spell it with two D's or two T's? I don't think I spell it with any. I say it kind of like I say Atlanta. Like I've kind of adopted. No, Manhattan. There's not even an A in there for me. Right. Atlanta, Manhattan. You know, like, I don't know. I've just, I know it's not the way that native New Yorkers say it, but. No, I was just, I'm making a reference to one of my favorite SNL shorts. One of our favorite SNL shorts. 
with Pete Davidson and Kristen Stewart. Oh, where the oh my god, I forgot about that one until you brought it up. Oh my god, it's such a good dumb joke. Just like, it's it's like their um their uh, romantic comedy that they yes, do really quickly. Yes. Yeah, it's so pretty good. good. Um, but anyway, we're we're in we're in Manhattan and uh, cockroaches are spreading some sort of disease. Yeah. It's every every uh, the only worst thing that could happen would be if like the rats were spreading this disease. Actually, in New I York. think cockroaches would be worse. Well, yeah, I guess because you can't even There's millions of more of them. Yeah, but still, I don't know. It's it's all very scary. Um, so, so it's mainly infecting children. Yeah, is what we what we learn. Um, and then we we see Doctor Peter Mann, who is the uh, director of the CDC. Uh, he recruits Dr. Susan Tyler, Dr. Susan Tyler. I'm going to say that again. Dr. Susan Tyler. Fuck the Wall Street Journal. Go off, queen. She's an entomologist. And so she uses uh, genetic engineering to create what is coined the Judas breed, which is a mix of mantis and termite. Yes. So basically what this Judas breed is supposed to do is infiltrate... Uh, the cockroaches colonies, I think, is what is the term. I'm not positive. I am yeah. not an entomologist. Hives. Yeah, I <laughs> so don't, I don't know. I'm not a bug doctor. I'm not a bug bug lady. Um, <laughs> but uh, so they're they're essentially supposed to kill them off. Yeah, um, it makes them starve to death because it it increases their metabolism. They can't find enough food to eat. Yes. And Judas Breed, just, you know, nice little religious reference there. Yeah, Send absolutely. It a thing that seems like your friend, but actually ends up giving you the kiss of death. Yes. So, um, and I and I should uh, I should note that that Dr. Dr. Susan uh, made this breed sterile so that they cannot once right. they once they are done, they are done. And um, it's successful. The disease is eradicated. And then we get a cute little love story. Peter and Susan marry. Um, it's, a, it's a happy Aww. ending, we think. But then three years later, there's a priest who's chased and dragged underground by a shadow. We don't yeah, know. We uh, don't know. Mr. Funny Shoes. Mr. Funny Shoes, called by um, Chewy, who is... Um, who is is stated in um, the synopsis as autistic? Yeah, I I always just use sort of neurodivergent because yes. yeah, he he is neurodivergent. Yeah, typical autistic signifiers here. Yes, um, he knows he knows a lot about shoes and he uses spoons to mimic. Yeah, he imitates. Yeah, he imitates. So. That's what we know about Chewy. Uh, but we also know that he is a son of an immigrant subway shoe shiner. His name is Manny. Mm-hmm. And um, then we kind of fast forward to these two kids who are trying to sell a bug um, from the subway to Susan. It's like in a cornflakes box. Yeah. It's it's really cute. It's very like traditional like 90s kids. It reminded me a lot of like Hey Arnold, like just yeah. kids trying to Well, it's funny because like this is structured shit. like a cop movie, even though it's not a cop movie. Yeah. But these would be their CIs, right? Like these are For their, sure. their com- uh, uh, I think it's confidential informant or something like that. Yeah. City the kids on the ground you know like yeah the kids in the gang or like whoever that you turn you're like oh you're my eyes on the ground you're my 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 rat yeah exactly so so they sell it to susan she's like i'll give you 10 bucks for everything there's his little birds that's what i was trying to think uh, of mm-hmm. they're her little birds agreed they're they're very cute they're very yeah. cute they're maybe in like fourth grade maybe fifth yeah um 
but they're they're very cute and just trying to make a buck. So she gives them 10, 10 bucks for like all these butterflies and then this weird bug that mm-hmm. they have in a cornflakes box. And uh, she performs tests on this bug and is kind of like, hmm, this is kind of kind of like the Judas breed that I made weird. <laughs> and it's a baby, she says. Um, but then she's like, she's like, there's there's just no way this is happening because all all of the specimens were female and they were only supposed to live for like a few months. So yeah. it, it should have only been a single generation. But then she talks to um, Dr. Gates, who is essentially her mentor and does an autopsy on a, a an older specimen, like a larger one that was yeah. in the city's sewage plants and finds that its organs are like fully formed. Right. So it has evolved and developed into a real like living, breathing, breeding species, basically. It's scary. Um, And he also, we get this moment where he's just like, there are more of them. Like there have to be. There have to be. be. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a colony in the subway basically is what he says. Um, So the kids, have have taken it upon themselves pretty much to go down onto the tracks. Um, they find like a large gross egg sac. I think it's called like an ootica or something like that. Yeah, because like they like send that. the kids to look for it. They do, but the kids are certainly happy to do it, and uh, because we're gonna get like forty bucks for this. Yeah, they're they're very they're very into the money, which I totally get it. Being kids in New York can't be easy. Um, yeah. So yeah, they're from Alphabet City in the nineties. Like, yeah, dear God, can't be can't be too too easy. Um, but then, so they find the egg sac, but then they're killed by this again uh, shadow. We don't we don't really yeah, see. It's like much. wearing a trench coat. It looks yeah. like yeah, yeah. And so then uh, Chewie also enters this church and finds what he keeps calling Mister Funny Shoes. He can mm-hmm. recognize shoes. He'll say, you know. Um, Doc Martin size 10. Yeah, 10 and a half Oxford. Yeah. Da, 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 yeah. Da, da, like just list off a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so then Chewie gets abducted. And then we've got our motley crew of Peter, his assistant Josh, and our MTA officer Leonard, who go into the maintenance tunnels and try to investigate and try to figure shit out. But then Peter and Leonard get stuck and send Josh out for help. Susan sees this like shadowy man in in the trench coat that you were talking about on the platform of the train and it in this very scary scene um, she walks towards it and it kind of unfolds into an insect which is the size of a human it's kind of like a funny like almost flasher reference yeah right? because of the trench coat for yeah sure. like, you want to see what I got and it's actually just an insect an who insect. wants to like capture her yes horrifying so the insect is successful um and abducts Susan and takes her into the tunnels so um in the meantime Josh finds finds a way out but is found by one of these crazy Judas bugs and is killed Manny is also in the tunnels searching for Chewy. Everybody's looking around. Everybody's in the tunnels these days. Um, and it's the new cool thing, just like in Always Sunny, where uh, Charlie and Frank hang out in the sewers. You know, it's a trend. Um, <laughs> trying to, you know, just save the city. It's chill. So uh, Chewy comes comes across Susan 
and he actually ends up rescuing Susan and um, Peter and Leonard, and they barricade themselves inside a very old train car. Coney Island CR-17. Or yes. sorry, it's a CR-17 from Coney Island. These babies hold up. <laughs> That's what our, our our dear MTA officer friend Leonard says, yes. I just like it because it's this very like Mad Maxi sort of vibe. He's yeah. like, I'm like, okay, good. I now know for myself, yeah. Topher, that if... Shit goes sideways in the city. I'm going to go down, down, down in the subway tunnels. Find me an old CR-17 from Coney Island. and like, There's, I Those know things are the, indestructible, they say. Yeah, that's what they say. So the only thing I would need help with is the fact that I'm colorblind. And apparently it takes a blue wire and a green wire to get it back up and running. And that is just going to be a guess for me. Yeah. Yeah, so and and also I love that we have a shout out for the mole people. Yeah. <laughs> the 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 ancient um mole people down there in the subways. Which is just like unhoused folks who uh, have yeah. found a place that's warm, relatively dry. Yeah. At least shielded from the elements. Yeah. Uh yeah. And yeah. You know. Exactly. If you could if you're going to live in uh New York City and not have a place to live and you need like a, a supportive community apparently the subways is one of them. At least that's what all these movies tell me. Yeah. So um, this is when Susan is kind of wrapping her head around exactly what could have happened. Um, she thinks that their accelerated metabolism has allowed them to reproduce um, at an accelerated rate and right. also probably aided them in evolving um, within only three years. Just it, she basically sped up. Yeah. You her know, her husband's such an asshole, too, who just oh, doubts yeah. her at every single turn. Of course. Peter, he's like, well, it's only been three years. There's no way they could have evolved this much. And she's like, dude, you you have to understand this. Think about it in terms of generations and not yeah. time. Yeah. And like bugs already evolve very quickly because they have such rapid generations. Yes. It's just like it's just like those um, those interactive games. There's one called like Universe Sandbox where you can set yes. up something and then you can accelerate the time yeah. and you can see what would happen if you know like the sun exploded or some shit right. like it's just like that you put you put bugs in that you accelerate the time they're gonna evolve well and it's yeah and it's accelerated <laughs> time within normal time because it is yeah they have an accelerated metabolism so they reproduce faster they mature faster they reduce faster like you see this in everyday things like this is not to bring it too close to home right now but this is what you see in viruses and, and bacteria yeah they can mutate they, very quickly exactly mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so, especially if they keep finding hosts. So, yeah. stay home, wear a mask, <laughs> wash your hands. God damn it. Um, so, uh, so included in this evolution, they've somehow figured out a way to mimic their, uh, <laughs> I said the title, mimic <laughs> their human prey. This is where it gets really scary. Yeah, we definitely get so, a title drop in here. <laughs> yes. So they're trying to figure out um, a plan to get the car moving. Um, Leonard obviously helps us with this. He talks about the wires and, you know, how if we can change it, switch tracks, then this this train will will start moving. Yeah. And he can't physically help because he's been slashed significantly by the bugs. Oh, poor Leonard. Big old gashes in his leg and he is bleeding a lot. Nasty. So Peter decides he's going to be the one to go switch the power on and uh, Manny's going to go switch the tracks. Mm-hmm. So Susan is now, you know, just trying to figure out what is the next thing that's going to happen here. And she thinks, you know, obviously they're going to spread throughout the tunnels and overrun the city and New York will be no more and potentially the world will be no more eventually. Right. So um, they need to kill. They've figured out enough that like there is one single fertile male. That keeps That's reproducing. Because it's, the, it's the termite DNA. It's, yeah. Because she shows um, one of the kids that earlier. Mm-hmm. 
So they need to kill this fertile male. Manny finds Chewie, but then is killed by said male, Mm -hmm. um, Judas. And so... So Susan goes to look for him, but then finds Chewie. Right. And arguably the reason that Manny dies is that Chewie signals the wrong thing because he's mimicking the... He's using the spoons. Um, That's not completely projected but it could yeah it, could it be. seems like that that he actually seems like that's what yeah happens. or he doesn't understand that the thing is dangerous because he's mimicking so he chewie's mimicking yeah in a different way than the adults are the adults are using those stink glands yes or scent glands or whatever <laughs> that are super gross stinky stinky i would imagine they stink they don't look very great <laughs> um but chewie's found a way to mimic by doing his by playing his spoons yes so he has the two spoons together and it's like you know traditional uh, uh, instrument around the world, mm-hmm. percussion instrument around the world, but he uses it to go click, clack, click, clack and like yeah. mimic the sound of the the different Judas bugs. Yes. And so that's why, it's, it's, it's assumed to be that that's why they don't kill him mm-hmm. and just abduct him and say they think that he's a child Yeah. of theirs. Yeah. So um, Leonard's leg, we're, we're back with Leonard. He, it's, it's bad. It's like bleeding really bad. He's got um, two tourniquets on, yeah. Yeah, he ends up creating a diversion that allows the others to get away and then he is killed. Yeah, he, he sacrifices himself. Yeah, it's a... So the male Judas somehow like fucking escapes, like doesn't get blown up. Um, so is going after Chewie, um, but is... Susan does um, a very smart and cool thing here where she uh, cuts her hand with a rosary and is bleeding, sees a train, an oncoming train, and just starts running like hell. And then right as the train is about to hit her, ducks behind like an indent in the right. in, in the tunnel. And the train hits the male Judas and you see it being, you know, like ripped apart. And uh, we were worried about Chewie. We were like, we we're like, is he, is, did he get out of the way or is he dead? That poor conductor, by the way, right? Like yeah. they are going to live the rest of their life trying to convince themselves that they did not see the thing they clearly saw, which was a lady running at the train being chased by a human sized bug. And then and they then killed that hit, bug. Yeah. Yeah, which they can't honestly, tell anybody about honestly, that. Con- the conductor probably knows that they hit something. Yeah. They probably don't know if they hit the lady or if they hit the bug or if they hit both. And then they see a child like, whoa. Yeah, but it's got to be. Yeah, they're just not going to have a nice life. No, um, but <laughs> Chewie does get away, though. That's like one of the things we said. We were like, but what about Chewie? Did Chewie like uh, <laughs> jump out of the way? But he did. He's yeah. fine. He's alive. Um He's, he's, again, I don't think anyone in this movie is coming out well, um, right. but he's alive. So after, after we, we learn that Chewie and, and Susan have survived this and we assume that the male Judas is now dead after being run over by a train, right. um, they are, they get above ground. Um, Susan then kind of assumes that Peter died in the big blast. Yeah, F. Murray Abraham shows back up and it's like, they've looked everywhere. It definitely, everything down there was definitely killed. Nothing could have survived the blast. And she's but like, that even, Peter. yeah, she's like, even one of us. And he's like, yeah. And she starts crying, etc. cetera. Uh, so then she sees some, something that might be another Judas, but it's just Peter alive and well. Yeah. He's just wrapped in a, in a, Shock blanket. Yeah, and then the movie ends with a a bow. 
I don't know. A lot of bad shit has happened, but they're yeah. They tie a nice little bow on it, and all three of them are Seems have like reunited. Adopt Chewie. I was about to say I wouldn't be surprised if they adopt Chewie. Um, and happily ever after? Question mark. The question end. Question mark. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the thing about this movie is, I would have to imagine you're not going into it looking for anything different. This is very formulaic. Yeah, I would say you that's know, right. Yeah. It's, you're not you're going into it for like you know you you know that there will be a twist or two and they might be fairly predictable but yet just like a roller coaster you know what you're signing up for and yet you're still gonna pay to go do it because it's fun it's fun to go on the journey even if you kind of know where the journey is gonna take you yeah it's a little Um, on rails yeah this is obviously very inspired by alien um oh clearly yeah (laughs) it's in the long slew of movies that came after alien that was clearly um that was clearly inspired by it like uh the relic and Mm -hmm. um event horizon and uh, just so many others that mix sci-fi and um like the formula is you've got a scientist trying to working to figure out something like a monster is is loose by either you know a gas leak or you know some sort of it's, yeah what is chemical it's Godzilla. issue yeah yeah some sort of chemical issue has you know something has gone wrong and then you set it wherever you want it and that informs the rest of the story right like we've yeah. got it set in new york city under in the tunnels of the subway Something that a place that has been very intriguing to a lot of writers and everything just because it's like the unknown. Yes. You know, 100%. essentially it's dark, Absolutely. it's wet, it's unknown. Who knows? Like we joke, we don't know what's growing under there. We really just have no idea. Yeah. I mean, um, I've got a short story about it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And there, there are all these, you know, bomb shelters. Like like a lot of people um, are intrigued by things that they are not allowed to see. Yes. So... That's where this one becomes a little bit interesting is the setting of it. And it kind of it kind of satisfies a lot, a lot of itches, I guess I'll say about, you know, everyone wants a horror film to be set in the subway. I've talked to multiple people about it. Like they're they're racking their brains of like, there's got to be one. And I'm like, yeah, this one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mimic. Yeah. Yeah. We spend 80 percent of our time in underground. I've got two short stories about that. Yeah, yeah, see. I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm just remembering like what I've written. It's like, oh, yeah, no, I've written two different short stories about like underground in New York. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's it's, it's a very it's interesting wealth. thing. It, there's It's such yeah. a wealthy, uh, like rich topic, right? Yeah. Uh, there's just so much in there mm-hmm. uh, to play with. Yeah. Um, and they're about two completely different things uh, and two completely different characters and yada, yada, yada. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's something I really love mm-hmm. uh, to play with myself as an idea, but also to watch. And I think Mimic is a good version of that. There's a better version of this film. Uh, we'll get to some of that, but it's, it's, I think pretty well done. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, acting is pretty good all around. Direction's pretty good all around. Uh, this is one of Del Toro's first English language films too. It's not his first, but it's one of his first, but I think it's something that like, it's worth watching, especially to, to get a sense of how a director that deserves all of the love he gets and probably more mm-hmm. to to see how they grow you know yeah um we're we were we were actually talking about this month we're talking about two of my favorite directors peter jackson and Guillermo del toro and we're talking about two of their earliest movies mm-hmm. and it's interesting to see like we talked about in the dead alive episode mm-hmm. what you can see that's in here yeah that is used later for sure like there's a quote from there's a quote from Del Toro himself uh, that was in 
uh, an interview he did with The Dish. Mm-hmm. So he says, quote, I have a sort of fetish for insects, clockwork, monsters, dark places, and unborn things. Mm-hmm. And uh, end quote. And that's we can totally see this with yeah. in here, right? Like, yeah. And he he's been very open and clear about how much he loves playing with monsters, and we've seen that. Like, um, there's a reason he works with Doug Jones all the time mm-hmm. and Ron Perlman, yeah, because both of them are you know they're they're mask actors, yeah, for a lot of their career. They've also been outside of it and they've done great work outside of it. Mm-hmm. But that's what they started off as. I mean, one of Ron yeah. Perlman's earliest breakthroughs was as the Beast in Beauty and the Beast, yeah. That TV show from the 80s. Yeah. Or TV movie. I can't remember. I wasn't alive. Um, <laughs> Neither. <laughs> but he was in Hellboy with Guillermo del Toro. And yeah. so was Doug Jones. Mm-hmm. And both of them are in full prosthetics and makeup the entire f- series. Yeah. So it's one of those good things. Like, I just like watching him do these sorts of things, you know. Um, For sure. I think he has such a clear, and again, going back to his, his training under Dick Smith, I think it's a real clear way that he wants to do things he wants to make monster movies like he wants to make the swamp thing he wants to make the wolfman he wants yeah. to make pacific rim mm-hmm. which is based on a monster anime yeah i argue that some people say it's a mech anime i say it's a monster anime spoilers from mm-hmm. neon neon genesis evangelion yeah right crimson peak is a monster film like the shape of water is a monster film that's yeah. the swamp thing right like mm-hmm. that's what that is it's a fish man yeah so I love it. Pan's Labyrinth. God damn it. How did I forget that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's so clear in his work that that's exactly what he wants to do. And like he wants to do Lovecraft. He wants to do Walheim. He wants to do all of these different like maybe not universal monsters. Capital U mon- yeah. universal yeah. monsters yeah. Uh, that we've talked about a bunch. But like he likes creating and and seeing what he can do yeah. with a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that can do to you, the viewer and the, the audience and what that ha- what happens when you have humans interacting with monsters. Mm-hmm. And that's why he, he is often cited as a magical realist writer and director. Yes. Um, really wish we had gotten to see his Hobbit movies, but the studio fucked him out of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Speaking of Peter Jackson, they're yeah. good friends. Um, yeah, so the other, one of the other things, I just like talking about Del Toro as a director, and this is the first time we've covered one of his films mm-hmm. on here. Uh, we're probably going to do a, like a dedicated month to him like we did with Bong Joon-ho yeah. at some point. Mm-hmm. He just has such a wealth of horror films. Yeah. It's also why we haven't done any of them yet. So like we did with Bong Joon-ho, we've, we've got a heads up, we're going to do some like director series again. Yeah. Like months dedicated to one director. Sure are. Um, and he's one that we've discussed doing. And the mm-hmm. reason why is because he has such a beautiful wealth of horror films. Yeah. Much like we did with Bong Joon-ho. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways in which they're very similar mm-hmm. directors, but in interestingly different ways. Yeah. Bong Joon-ho is very like nitty gritty. Yeah. Uh, and as we talked about, he doesn't shoot coverage because he already has the entire thing planned out. Yeah. Again, that's just an, that's a ludicrous thing to do to me. <laughs> right. Like, how the fuck are you not shooting up? What if you miss the shot? And he just doesn't miss the shot. Yeah. It's like, okay, you just don't miss the shot, I guess. <laughs> He's some sort of, like, savant, I think. It's it's something like Things that. Things just come to him and he just it just works out. He just makes it happen. And yeah. that's a big thing. Is that, yeah, he just makes it work. He's just like, no, I don't need that. So just Alfonso Cuarón, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's like, why would I shoot from another angle? I want to keep just going. <laughs> I get bored very easily and I want to finish this movie. <laughs> Damn, he and I would get along. Yeah. That's exactly how I I would am. just be sitting there cross-legged on the floor just going like, how in the fuck is this ever going to work? And then I'd watch I the movie love... and be like, Damn, yeah, no, you're right. I would love to work with them. I'd be like, oh, we're moving on. Great. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. You're going to you hate working with me because I'm like, okay, let's shoot it from this angle, 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 and that's half a scene. 
No, I I love working with you. Don't don't get me wrong. I just <laughs> my my brain operates on like so much efficiency that oh, it's Oh, I'm aware because I've worked with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like we got it, right? Good. No. Let's no. go. Oh, you get so oh, mad God. when I want to shoot coverage. So, yeah, so that's one way that they're very alike though is it, so Del Toro absolutely shoots coverage. Yeah. Um and it's funny, uh Alfonso Cuarón has sort of he's kind of jokes about del toro and the way he shoots because Cuadron's very like not loosey-goosey but much more free form with his directing style mm-hmm. and you can see that in his yeah. films right mm-hmm. he gets the shot but he plays with it and is kind of like eh, it's not the shot i thought i was going to get but now i have it yeah and i like this shot better than the one i wanted yeah del toro he's described as uh mathematical mm-hmm where he's like, just everything is planned out. Like, um, if you go to the IMDb page, you can see all of the uh, the storyboarding for yeah. this film. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's so cool to look at the storyboards. But that's like the kind of director he is. Yeah. Where like, and I think I'm in between. It's why I appreciate like people like Del Toro and Bong Joon-ho. Yeah. Because it's, I, I want to be them. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of my brain that is them but there's also part of my brain that's Quaron, where i'm like yeah no i'm just gonna kind of like set up a shot yeah and do a bunch of different takes of it mm-hmm. and have my pick and choose later mm-hmm. you know and like yeah. see how it works that's why i work with that's why i work so directly with uh dps and cinematographers and i want very strong ones like our friend steph mm-hmm. uh because i can hand over that to them yeah right yeah. Whereas, yeah, Bong Joon-ho and Del Toro are like, no, 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 this is the shot. Yeah. And we are getting this shot. And that is the shot we are getting. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And, and I, I just really appreciate that. That's a kind of that's a kind of way that a brain thinks that I maybe don't trust myself enough to do. I like to call it humility, but maybe it's mistrust of myself and my own work. I think it but comes with just experience, maybe. Maybe that, too. And also just, a, just the way people's brains work. Like, there's yeah. plenty of really great directors who are just like, like the Coens. Or like mm-hmm. that. They just like, they plan all their shots, but they're like, okay, great. Take over cinematographer. Yeah. I do think it's like, you know, type A versus type B personality sort of brain thing too. Yeah. And I, I just, I'm expressing, you know, I'm not trying to compare myself to these people, but I have to because they're the people I admire most. For sure. Um, and so I love, I, I, I have a real higher admiration for Del Toro and Bong Joon-ho because they are just like, no, we get the shot that we wanted. Absolutely. And I think they... <laughs> and they do it every fucking time. <laughs> yes. And another thing that they have in common is <laughs> is <laughs> Miramax um, distributing their films, which sometimes sometimes is it's it can be quite unfortunate because I think that we, like you said, the director's cut of this is 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 very enjoyable. Yeah. And um, I I sometimes with Miramax specifically, I wonder. I wonder, you know, what would have been a better film? Because there is something to be desired with this one, in my opinion. Um, Again, it is very formulaic, um, which those types of movies certainly have their place. But I'm just wondering what, after seeing other Guillermo del Toro movies, like what could have been changed about this one? You know what I mean? What was dropped on the cutting room floor? What was, you know... Yeah. So it's more in line with his tone. Mm-hmm. So because um, the one of the things that the Weinstein's do that absolutely makes me absolutely hate them mm-hmm. in a certain way, uh, despite all the horrible, horrible things they've done, just as a, a professional, this yeah. is something I fucking hate. Is that they demand final cut. 
Yeah. And that's bullshit. Yeah. You're producers. You're not, they're not editors. They're yeah. not directors. They're both wannabe those things. Yeah. They are wannabe creatives, but mm-hmm. they're just money guys. Yeah. With the huge egos and uh, a lot of uh, self-hatred. Who ruined a lot of women's careers. Yes. Um, including our protagonist in this one. Yeah. Mira Savino. Yes. Yeah. So basically one day Bob Weinstein got really fucking, he saw an early cut. Mm-hmm. of the film and got super pissed because he was like, Del Toro, this isn't a horror movie because he wanted it to be like a slashery more type oh. film. He wanted something that was much more like mass market 90s. Like this is around the time of Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer totally. and, and The Craft and all that shit, right? Totally. He wanted a 90s horror film and Del Toro said, nah, dude, I'm doing my thing. You hired me to do my thing. Yeah, he and got so, a sci-fi horror. Yeah. yeah. And he got uh, something that's a tone movie. Mm-hmm. And like that's what Del Toro does so well is set a tone. That's how you know him apart from others, right? Yeah. Like Carpenter sets a tone. Yeah, I, which is he like light has, but heavy. He definitely has a very specific style. Um, mm-hmm. Like I would certainly compare this tone to Pan's Labyrinth. 100%. I would compare this to you know so in any of his other movies. There's and and that is so important to have as a director is something that someone can latch onto. It's a vision and it's, it's a, a tour. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's exactly what you were saying about Carpenter. Like whenever, whenever we turn on a movie, I'm like, oh my god, this is so Carpenter esque. And like, what does that yeah. mean? I could break it down for you. You know? Yeah, like, and that's what. I, yeah, yeah. And we've actually we uh, we can just do that real fast. Del Toro, his things are dark fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're magically realist. It doesn't matter if they're sci-fi, fantasy, whatever. It's always going to have this sort of like hope. Yeah, that you're so terrified that it'll be dashed. Yeah, and it and it certainly it certainly always he he tends to have like he tends to have these happy endings that aren't so happy. It's like Mm -hmm. it's like everything Mm -hmm. is fucked, but the person you thought was going to die didn't die, sort of thing. Um, so yeah, exactly what you said. Like there is this like glimmer of hope that you're so worried the whole time is just going to get dashed, and it's that tension that kind of keeps you engaged. Yeah, um, which is why this movie is a little bit different than um than the other formulaic ones that I'm kind of talking yeah. about is is his tone. I think that that honestly is a little bit of what saves this movie for me. Oh, it because, 100% is. Because here's the thing, and I don't know if, I don't know if I'm, I, I, I doubt that I'm the first person who's ever said this, but honestly, I, I would have rather have seen, maybe this is what COVID has done to me, like some weird morbid <laughs> curiosity about like epidemics, but I wanted, I wanted to see the cockroach narrative i wanted to see that develop kind of the the origin story the origin story i wanted to see that i wanted this if this was a sequel to that it would have been a bomb sequel and i would have given it a lot more credit probably because sequels are just inherently not great very bad but i i don't know i was more interested in in the cockroach thing i thought that's that's the story we were gonna get and I don't know. I don't hate this movie but i also it made me curious to see what would happen if we had Oh, totally. That's. I think that would be a cool story, too. I'm not... I, I completely agree with you. That would be a really cool movie um, to watch them do the science thing. Mm-hmm. And that would also be science fiction, right? Yeah. This one gets... This is more Del Toro. Like, I wouldn't want to watch Del Toro direct that prequel or, yeah. or origin story or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be much more... I don't know. Um, really, Scott could probably do a good job with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's so hit and miss for me. But, like, he would be somebody who I would think at least could do something good with it. Yeah. Um, Karen Kusama... I would like to see her do that. I'd be down. Of I just like her style. Yeah, very, um, she's very good. Yeah, and I've never seen her do a creature feature, so mm-hmm. I'd be down. 
Um, yeah, so like one of the dumbest things that I've ever heard is Bob Weinstein coming down to set and yelling at Del Toro asking if he needs to help, uh, if he needs to tell him how to direct a movie. Sir, sit down. <laughs> sit your ass down. So that's another thing that him and Bong Joon-ho have in common is the telling the Weinsteins to fuck off. And Miyazaki. Like, and Miyazaki. But Miyazaki did it in a very Miyazaki way where he... <laughs> it's my favorite story. He just like fucked with him. He was like, he was like, you cannot cut this scene from my... It was like a fishing scene. Yeah. You cannot cut this scene from my movie. It will... It, it was like a, a very fond memory of me and my father. It would dishonor him. It would do all of these things. And like, I, I read this like in quotes of what he said. And then later in an inter- interview, someone asked him about it. And he was like... Oh, yeah, no, all of that was false. I I just just want my movie to be my movie. Exactly. And I was like, oh, my God. What a brilliant man. And he used used racism to his advantage. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Because Harvey Weinstein's fucking racist. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He flipped the the script on it. And I I just, I adore, I adore Miyazaki. Yes. That's one of those, you know, like those. A true real one. Those um, generic questions that people ask you, like, um, if you could have dinner with one person mm-hmm. it would be a tie for dolly parton and miyazaki yeah for me i have so i have so much brain picking to do with those two mm-hmm. that i just i gotta know yeah <laughs> del toro would be one of mine for sure love that and bong joon ho i think i mean Miyazaki's always going to be up there bong joon ho will always have a seat at my at my <laughs> table as long as he brings his oscars and makes them kiss yes. the whole time <laughs> just just sets them up yeah like Here's some champagne. Let's we'll do a toast. Whole short, and... We'll do a whole short film together. It'll be a stop motion. <laughs> yeah. It's just a porno involving his Oscars. <laughs> just kidding. When he called them regional awards, it made me so happy. <laughs> he's, he's another one of my favorites. Uh, just talks so much shit. And Del Toro talks a lot of shit too. Like these people who are just like these, these, it's particularly these men. Um, and that that's who's allowed to stand up to Weinstein's. That's put a fine point on Ugh, it. Yeah. Um, because Sorvino Ooh. probably, lo- I mean, definitely lost part of her career because she turned down Harvey, uh, mm-hmm. his sexual assaults and harassments and advances, but also probably because she told Bob to fuck off. Yeah. Uh, she's part of the one who saved Del Toro's job here. Damn. Yeah. She pulled clout and was like, no, you got to let him, uh, to work on this movie. But that's when Bob Weinstein did the Bob, we- did the Weinstein brothers thing of insisting that they have final cut. So that's why we don't have a proper cut of this movie. Wild. They they do it's a it's a long storied history of the two of them both doing that. See, that's why I'm super compassionate when it comes to directors that have to work with Miramax. Like I'm not I know that I I, I am critical of all movies. I will remain that way, but I just I, I it's the same way that I try not to be too critical with actors because I know there are so many things 100%. in the way of them fully doing what they want to do there there are just so many people that between them laying down a scene and and the movie theater yeah i mean <laughs> hell del toro said this is the only time he's ever experienced bad behavior on set mm-hmm. like from the production company which is wild and he said it's like one of the worst experiences of his life i believe it he i believe it, was, it quote a horrible 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 experience three horribles yeah that's 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 real that's Wow. That's, uh, yeah, and that was from an uh, interview in um, the Indie Film, or the uh, the Independent, but the Indie Film Review. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and I mean, I hate it when production companies try to stifle any sort of creativity. That's oh, why but they hate creativity. Well, <laughs> they also they also hate women. And here's here's the thing: I always get so like I don't want to discredit um, Nancy in Nancy in A Nightmare on Elm Street, or even Rosemary and Rosemary's Baby, or you know, a a couple of uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. Yeah, uh, some of these Ripley um, and Alien. Yeah, some of these very uh, strong, <laughs> strong female leads or whatever you want to call them. <laughs> um, but we really had, we we really had a surgence of ass kicking women in the '90s. Like we had Nev yeah. Campbell in Scream, mm-hmm. who really advanced the final girl trope. We had um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Sarah Michelle Gellar, in that we had Ally McBeal. We had we had all of these women led shows and yeah. movies that it just it became more of a trend but the only and and she's she's one of them in this yeah um, Vino is definitely that she's dr she's, tyler dr tyler is is certainly one of, she is the smartest one in the film um <laughs> leonard is a close second i would say but his knowledge is very um niche it's working class knowledge too Let's yeah it's all out. Of, yeah, which I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get to that trope in a second. Got it. Uh, but this first one, I got to deal with my ladies first. Got you. So whenever it's 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 through the lens of Miramax and knowing that history with with the Weinstein's, I just it puts such a damper or a cloud over the intentions of putting a badass lady as your protagonist. Yeah. I just I I want to believe that it's not some weird male fantasy male gaze thing, but I don't think it advanced us very far here, but just because yeah. of the, just because of the history, I love that she is our scientist protagonist. But of course, her husband is undermining her. The Constantly. left and right, like leave him. I wish. No, I don't wish he had died. Sorry, I'm not going to be that mean. I'm not going to be that mean. I'm not going <laughs> to do that. He's just a prick. Like, he is. He is. He doesn't deserve to die, but he is a prick. And he's an asshole to Leonard the entire time. And Leonard is dope. I like Leonard. Yeah, even if he's a cop, um, it's fine. Yeah, it's so it's I, I I struggle with this because I can't really compare it to um, The Craft or Scream or Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Ally McBeal, which why do I feel like Callista Flockhart was another one of Weinstein's? Was she? I can't remember. The list is so fucking long. I know. I don't know why I'm putting those two together. Don't quote me on that. I don't actually know. Anyway, it's 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 very it's hard for me to completely get on board with the way that she is presented because of the history of the production company and her specific history with the Weinsteins. It puts a cloud over it. It does. Yeah. And then Leonard, we have a little bit of a a, a magical other because typically a person of color, BIPOC. Yeah. Yeah. Because the only reason that he, I mean, he's, very integral to the plot but but that's the only reason that he's really there is because he knows he just knows so much about the subway which i love i love that as a characteristic for him but yeah effectively in the plot that's the only reason why he's there and to help white people and it's just kind of it doesn't sit with me completely right i don't think it's the worst one we've ever seen but it's also not great but i do like him as a character I think they did a yeah. good job of endearing us to him, but Del Toro has a good history with this, and that's mm-hmm. why I'm willing to give a little bit of a leeway. See, I guess, and this is also I where I say it's a little reductive yeah. to say it's just the magical other, the magical POC, whatever. Um, yeah, I want to give him just a little bit of leeway, which is maybe not my my place to do, but I, I'm I'm doing it because I'm here, um, only because Leonard's not. 
you can read it as he's doing it to save the white folks. Mm-hmm. He's doing it to save the city. True. Um, True. And he he says that like there are lines where it's it, you have to look at the actual dialogue. Yeah. To get through this, like if you were just looking at it in terms of tropes, right? Yeah. Hundred percent. But tropes are only a useful rubric to lay on top. Yeah. And then you have to get into the finesse. And that's where you undercut yeah. these things. Maybe not maybe not run against them or like twist them or subvert them, but undercut at least. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just because of the dialogue, the literal like script that he is safe from that. Which is where I also go back to the tug of war between Miramax and Del Toro, potentially. Yes. You know, because I, I, I would one hundred percent agree with that. I, I agree with you. I will. I will give Del Toro just because of um, other works that he's done. Yes, I will. I can. I can give him a little bit of leeway. I know he's not a piece of shit who right. who does who, who who does any of these things. But, um, but it 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 just kind of struck me as like, oh yeah, and he's also gonna die. You, right, you know, right. like he's only there until they don't need him and then he dies. Sort I of thing. totally hear you on that. And that's, yeah, that's why yeah. I'm like, it's, it's, it's questionable. It's questionable. Yeah. But I'd say it's not, I'm not going to come down one way or the other, but I am going to lean softly towards. Yeah. That's kind of where better I'm than at. Not. Yeah. Um, at least this is a diverse film. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at because I don't, I don't know if it's damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of thing here because it would be really weird if randomly the director um, or the deputy director of the CDC just randomly was like, oh, yeah, I know exactly where everything in the subway is. Like, we have to have yeah. a character like that in a way because we've already got like it wouldn't make sense for either of our protagonists to know anything about the subway in that fashion. Not even close. They would just it wouldn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. So you have to kind of have a character like that if that's where you're going with the plot is that we're using the subway to, you know. Um, we we have to have this knowledge, but I don't know. I I'll say this too: is that like yeah. every single marginalized person who has screen time has multiple lines and is yes. important to the plot. Remy, who's kind of quoted as coded as queer mm-hmm. and is fem- as women presenting, right? Deaf or femme presenting. Um, you've got Mira Savino is a is a woman. She's a white woman, but she's a woman, so that does make her at least semi marginalized. Yeah, chewy, neurodivergent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Hispanic. You also have Manny, his caretaker, maybe his father. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Um. But but his maybe his grandfather, something like that. You know, it's he's taking care of Chewy, and he's yes. also broken, immigrant, and Hispanic, right? Yeah. In the nineties, and he yeah, he's a shoe shiner in the subway. And yeah. And we see their apartment and all of that, right? So everybody, Leonard again, yeah, black man, mm-hmm. yeah. So every time we see someone who is and the the one of the one of the kids. Oh yeah, both um, of the kids are broke, and also one of them is black. Yes, so yeah, you have you have a very good point there, which is why I'm also um, lenient on Del Toro, is because there this is probably one of the most diverse casts that we have in a '90s sci-fi horror film. I, I feel like we'd, a '90s film. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we'd be I feel like we'd be hard pressed to find one that was better than this. I'm just trying. I'm being nitpicky when I say absolutely, and trying and just trying to be critical of certain certain tropes so that maybe we don't have to fall into them anymore. Definitely. I don't. I'm just. I I totally get that it was in the '90s, and I really appreciate that it is diverse in so many ways. With yeah. having a neurodivergent child, and also having um, um, immigrant representation, and all all of those things, it's wonderful. Oh. Um, I just also 
I don't know. I want to I want to continue to have a critical eye because if we don't, then we can't move forward. And I love you for that. And that's exactly what you should be doing. We were talking about this last night. I'm just like, it's just not that hard to watch, uh, to, to appreciate and approach art critically. Yeah. And it's lazy if we don't do it. Yes, it's exhausting to do it all the time, but yeah. Fine. If I be see fucking something. tired. I've been tired forever. <laughs> I'm tying this back into the MTA. See something, say something. Oh, God. No, 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 no. That's <laughs> no. snitch rules. No, I'm joking. Oh, my God. I'm not. Uh, I'm playing with you. I'm playing with you. That was good. That was a good tie-in. I just want to joke back at you. I would never snitch. That's why you have so few stitches. I had some sand. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, getting back into that, I, I wanted to talk about. Uh, chewy a little bit because I think this is another place where you have to be very like I think he does I think Del Toro does better mm-hmm. than other things in, in like contemporary films at that time yeah, yeah, yeah it still plays with it it's yeah. still we still have a little bit of the magical other and this time it's the magical neurodivergent kid right yeah or the uh, what's it called the um, disability superpower yeah trope oh yeah mm-hmm. um, and it's something that a lot of folks with disabilities like myself who like you you are trained by media to see yourself this way mm-hmm. that you ha- that your disability has to be a superpower that has to help you that you can't just exist as a human and right. do just it, it's like you're not it's like you're devalued unless you have some sort of magical above and beyond ab- yeah which is so fucked up yeah not only are you starting further back in the race you also have to run three times as fast yeah um, yeah it's not cool man yeah so it's one of those things that like i chewy's an interesting one because i think it's a very sympathetic take on a nerd mm. version kid and del toro has a lot of this to the point that i i'm genuinely curious if like people in his family are right just and it sucks that i have to think this way but the only time i've seen that much compassion i was about to say the compassion is when people experience this in their own life yeah like as one of his kids or his family members in some way yeah um because chewy is he does border on the magical right like yeah his his power is the The repetition thing and it saves his life yeah it also causes problems. So it's really weird where it's like, normally when you see this trope, it saves everybody. Yeah. Or like it is the focus. It's just a detail. Here. It is. Yeah. And I that's was about why to say I'm, that. that's why I'm questionable on it, but I do want it, to, it's something to look at again, like we were just mm-hmm. saying, it's, it's important to look at these things and analyze them and say, is this a case of that? Is this not? And it's not a binary. It's a it spectrum. should. Yeah. Art should be, art should be um, challenged. Yeah. Otherwise you get shit art. Yeah, exactly. So, and and that's that's the purpose yeah. of why we're here. So yeah, and I also, but I did like this representation too, because like yeah, at I, first I was Chewie's, nervous, yeah, but it turned out okay. Yeah, and like obviously Chewie's f- much further down the spectrum than I am, or not down. Dear dear God, I'm gonna retake that. And obviously Chewie's much in a much different spot on the spectrum than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hate the terms high functioning and low functioning. Yeah, I think um, it's garbage. Yes, it's really it's really un, it's not nice at all. Um, <clears throat> But, like, my problems with it have been, I would guess, mild as opposed to severe. Yeah. In terms of my ability to interact with the world. Mm-hmm. And Chewie's way of interacting with the world is observing. It has that sort of savant thing mm-hmm. of, like, being able to just know all these things. Like, know facts. Yeah. And be able to recite facts. Mm-hmm. And hear sounds and be able to mimic sounds. Mm-hmm. Um and it's stuff that, like, you know, everybody on the spectrum has a different experience, but also has certain relatable ones. Yeah. Um, and so, like, watching Chewie do these very repetitive, almost obsessive or compulsive, not obsessive-compulsive, but or obsessive or compulsive things mm-hmm. was like, oh, that was me as a kid. Not to that degree. 
Right. But I rem- it, it, it's, um, again, I use this word all the fucking time because I'm an asshole, verisimilitude. Mm-hmm. It made me feel seen and represented in a certain way. Right. Um, and I liked that. You know, I liked Chewie as a character. Um, I don't like young neurodivergent kids being used as plot devices. Right. And like the reasons that certain people are in danger. Mm-hmm. This one, again, is a little more nuanced than that. It's a detail. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that. Um, It's character build out, and it has plot reason, like it has plot effects, which all character details should to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. If you're writing that way, right? If your characters inspire the story and not the other way around, Mm -hmm. that's what it is. Yeah. I, I certainly, I certainly agree, agree with you on that. And I think that. I think Del Toro did a really good job with the nuance of that. Yeah. I mean, he's a very nuanced director. I love him so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I don't know. I like this movie. It's not my favorite of his by any means. That yeah. would be a little bit of Um Again, it's fun. Yeah. Like I, yeah, like I said, you know what you're getting into. There's not really anything surprising about it. It's also fun to go back and do some of your favorite director's pass. Yeah, see see what uh, what they've done, where they've come from, and and you know, always good to appreciate. Speaking of, I'm super excited. Hulu just released a bunch of Bong Joon Ho's older films. Oh, tight! Uh, I didn't a, know that. Like a month or two ago. Sweet. So, um, Memories of a Murder and Mother are both on there, mm. and I'm very excited to watch both of those with you. Uh, just for fun. We're not going to cover them. <laughs> Can't wait. I'm truly looking forward to that. I yeah, love, we just I love both love him. Um, um, yeah. So it's fun to just like dive back into an, a director's older works. You know, we did it yeah. with Jackson. We're doing it here. We'll do it with Carpenter when we get to him. Um, you know, it's fun. Like just looking at your favorite directors and saying like, what did they do first? Exactly. After seeing like, especially after you've seen the later works. Yeah. And you exactly. go back and you're like, oh, this is so cool. This is like a primer. Yeah. Um, which I also should uh, let you guys know where to even find this movie. You can certainly find it on Amazon Prime. We ended up watching it on some... Pluto TV. Pluto TV, which was free, and it just plays right away. There's no weird ads or anything. Well, like, in the There's beginning. There's commercials in it's it. It's not like when you when when you were younger, or maybe you still do this, <laughs> go on, like, Put Locker. It's not like that, where you, like, Mega the video. links. Yeah, the links don't really work. It's just, it comes right up, but there are ads in it about, like, every 15 minutes. So if that bothers you, head on over to Prime and just watch it there. That's also, really... Oh. look up your local library. A lot of them do have streaming services that have, like, all these various films mm-hmm. um, that you can just watch for free without ads. True. You just rent them from the library like you would a DVD. Yep, that's true. Um, they've especially started adding more, I've noticed, um, yeah. since uh, COVID has been a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they so added a lot of... Library. Yeah, they added a lot of eBooks and everything. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, keep the libraries alive. I do love them. So yeah, I think that's that's really all I had to that's say. everything I have. Yeah, it's that, that's all I've got for today. So uh, you guys know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. And we're at HorrorBabes.com. Thank you to Seth Hagen for that dope theme song that you hear in the beginning and the end of every episode. We love you so much. Everyone, please stay safe out there like I said, wash your damn hands, uh, wear a fucking mask, and social motherfucking distance, please. Yeah, just stay the fuck home. Yeah, if you don't have to go anywhere, stay home. Uh, So yeah, until next time, bye bye babes. babes.